Welcome to the Fitbox Podcast. This is your host, Joseph Frankie. Glad you're here listening. On our podcast, we talk about two main things. First and foremost, we interview members of Fitbox so that way you can hear their stories about how they're repaying debt, how they're saving for retirement, buying homes, all this type of stuff, really to give you motivation and some different ideas. That's the first thing we talk about. The second thing our podcast do is we take individual finance topics and go through them in more detail so that way you can say, does this apply to me and how does this apply to my plan? So if you have questions or you want to sign up for Fitbucks, you can do so in the show notes, fitbucks.com, build your profile, schedule a call. We'll be talking to you soon. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another podcast episode. I'm your host, Joseph Ranke. Today, we will be talking about something that has been popping up a lot lately because uh, of the fluctuations in the stock market, interest rates, all these things. And that is the Federal Reserve and their effects on things like inflation and whatnot. Now, this isn't going to get like some technical, technical, technical deep dive into Federal Reserve and the inflation. I'm basically going to go through how all of you, because most of you listening, actually almost all of you listening to this are younger, and how the Federal Reserve actually hurts you. And in, in a lot of your cases, it might be actually hurting your parents as well. Um, and I don't mean like the Federal Reserve necessarily hurts you all the time, but basically what their policies have been doing have been hurting uh, for quite a long time. So, you know, we'll, we'll start with some background and then I'll go through some examples of, of how this actually affects you and why it all matters. Okay, so that way you guys have a little bit more education on this. Before we get into the podcast, though, as always, guys, like if you need help with your financial plan and all that type of stuff, we have the brand new financial planning technology that allows you to easily build a plan, track the plan, get automated recommendations. Um, That is now out, so be sure to sign up. We're also going to be adding some new pieces to it that I'm really excited about over the next year. So keep an eye out uh, out for that, and let's jump into it. First of all, to, to understand the, the Fed, we've got to go back why it was actually created in the first place. First of all, it's called the Federal Reserve. It's actually not a federal government. The federal government appoints the, the leaders of it, but it's actually not part of the federal government. But anyways, that's like a whole other conversation. Long story short, <clears throat> it was instituted a long time ago. Um, and it was instituted during depressions and whatnot when a lot of banks were failing and everything. So the whole purpose of the Federal Reserve this is the way I, I dumb it down. The whole purpose was to provide liquidity to the financial markets. So that way, like if there's depressions and stuff, there's not a run on banks, like banks can have liquidity, so on and so forth. This is important to understand because over time, the, the role of the Federal Reserve is more from providing liquidity to trying to manage inflation and manage employment. It, it doesn't really make sense. In fact, that's called a dual mandate. That's what the Fed does here. It's the only Fed Reserve that does that. Most of them only target inflation. But here in the United States, it tries to target inflation and employment, um, which some say fantastic. Other people say that's ridiculous, but that's not what we're talking about today. Um, Basically, what what ends up happening is like in 2008, when we're having the mortgage crisis, is there the need for the Fed? Yes and no. Um, You know, I'm not going to try to debate that. But what I will say is that we have a consumer economy, meaning we don't save. Even though everybody that listens to this podcast, you guys are all savers, right? Paying off your debt and doing everything perfectly, right? 
Uh, truth of the matter is, most of the people in this country spin, 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 consume, 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 consume. They're not savers. Okay. Why is that important? Because the Fed it tries to stimulate the economy, and the way they do that is try to increase consumption. The theory behind that is that they control what's called the Fed fund rates, which is, long story short, is what banks can borrow at. It affects the, the interest rates in the market. It affects what you have to pay on things like mortgages. It affects things on how much you can save, like what you get in a savings account at a bank, all that type of stuff. And what they try to do is, in times of depressing, depressions or economic contractions, they try to decrease the interest rate to stimulate people say uh, spending and so for example what they're thinking is okay well let's just say you can get zero percent return by putting your money in the bank you're gonna do one of two things you're either you're gonna spend that money um, because you what's the point of saving it you're not earning anything on it so you might as well spend it so that will help the the economy or they'll say people will take more risk with their investments and therefore go to things like stocks. And a lot of people equate the stock market with GDP and, and earnings and wealth. And that's what they're trying to do is I have a lot of people that have, have listened to a lot of debates talking about how like the stock market isn't real wealth. It's not GDP, any of that stuff. And I, I again, I'm not going to debate that topic. But the fact of the matter is it's a more of a behavioral thing, a psych, like psychosis type of thing. Like if I have a 401k and I see the stock market going up, I feel like my wealth is going up. Um, and that's going to drive my behaviors in other places. Like I might say, okay, well, instead of having to save, I'm going to go spend. And again, that's what the Fed is trying to do. They're trying to drive consumption, especially when there's a recession or an economic contraction. Okay, so that background, back in 2008, the Federal Reserve, actually, I'm going to go back before that, um, back in the early 2000s, uh, the Federal Reserve dropped the rates extremely low, like an all-time low in the United States, uh, to combat like the whole dot-com bust and all that type of stuff. And a lot of people are like, oh, the mortgage crisis. One of the big reasons of the mortgage crisis was because the Fed dropped the rates and they kept them so low for so long. And they had started raising it aggressively because they were like, oh shit, like what do we do? But the problem was that it was too late. And that's one of the big causes that led to 2008. So in 2008, they decided to cut the interest rates to basically 0% and to stimulate the economy. Um, at that time, you know, what I kept saying to people is we could have just got all the, the bullshit out of the economy right then and there um, and to me a lot of it was politically driven the whole 2008 recession a lot of it was caused by politicians with housing policies and whatnot um, you know and all that that stuff they don't talk about in quote-unquote mainstream media um, again I'm not going to go into 2008 and the cause of it the bottom line is is that the Federal Reserve dropped it to zero percent and they kept the rates there for a very long time okay and then they barely raised them during the Trump years when GDP started taking off and then COVID hit and they kept them at 0% again and now we've funneled $6 trillion or whatever it is into the market and you're starting to get inflation and now it's like, oh shit, what do we do? Okay. Why does this all matter? Okay. Why does it matter for old people? Why does it matter for young people? I'm going to go through all that. 
and why you should care what the Fed's doing. Because you might be thinking like, oh, well, you know, I, I can get a cheaper interest rate on my loans and all that type of stuff. But the thing is, it's actually costing you a lot of money. And that's what we're going to talk about. So I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, give me multiple examples. Buying a home. Okay. And just home prices. Low interest rates on student loans, or I'm sorry, <laughs> we talk about student loans a lot, or like a lot, right? So by default, that's what I say. <laughs> interest rates on mortgages, when they're at, on a low, they help two people, okay? Two groups of people. They help people that already own a house. Why is that? Because when rates drop, they can refinance and save money, and they already own their house. Fantastic, Okay. The other group that it helps is older people. Okay, so this is my opinion. Like in 2008 through even now, like one of the big reasons why the Federal Reserve has kept the rates so low is that by doing that, it stimulates the housing industry. And for most people in this country, their number one store of wealth is the equity in their house. So I mentioned the 401k and it going up and the behavior, like, you know, people feel like they're wealthier. When people have equity in their house, they feel like they are more wealthy. So they're more apt to go out and spend. Okay. Also, guess who is the lar largest voting block in this country? It's older people that have houses. So if they feel like their, their equity is going up and they feel like they're getting wealthier, the number one factor that influences voting in this country is how is economics? How am I doing economically? So if people feel like they're doing good, more likely the incumbents that are in office are going to win re-election. Now the Federal Reserve is not supposed to be political. And that's a bunch of horseshit in my opinion. I believe that it very much is. Again, not something that I'm going to go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. Um, but, and, and by the way, guys, my thing is, is I don't, you know, I hear both sides of it. Is it political? Is it not political? Should we have it? Should we not have it? The bottom line is, is that it's there. And the way I was trained is you have to understand those policies so you know where to put your money. And that's why I want to do this podcast. So that way you understand the effects and say, where do I put my money? Okay. But buying the house, how does this help old people? Again, it increases the price of um, housing. So I'm going to give you an example of how this, this hurts young people a lot. Okay. I made the comment earlier that, that younger people say to me, oh, well, the lower interest rates actually help us to buy a house because it, it costs less. But what they're not factoring in is is like that that what I consider hyperinflation in the real estate market over the last eight, nine, 10, 12 years. Okay. Let's just say back in whenever it was, 2010, that they wouldn't have dropped interest rates. And let's just say I can get a two hundred thousand dollar loan at five percent. All right. And I paid that $200,000 loan over 30 years. I would pay a total of $386,000. Okay? Now I go to try to buy the same place 
and I need a $300,000 loan. And let's just say I get 3%. So the loan that I have to get goes up to 300 grand, but my interest rate's 3%, which is lower than 5%. So 3% is better, right? With that same loan, it would now cost me $455,000 or about $60,000 more than had the interest rates still been higher and inflation in real estate wouldn't have been so high, meaning the price appreciation would have been so high. So yeah, great. Wealthy people like that, not wealthy people, I'm sorry, old people that own a house benefit because now their net wealth goes a lot higher because equity prices go higher because money's so cheap. So everybody wants to buy housing. Everybody that has a house already makes it has a benefit because they can refinance to a low loan. Those of you that are just graduating are the ones that take a major hit in terms of home buying. It doesn't matter if interest rates are lower. It's still costing you a shitload of money because how much you get to now go out and get a mortgage. Okay? But it also hurts older people. What I mean by that is that let's just say you have, you're 65 years old and you had a million dollars. And by the way, this also this example also affects uh, younger people. Okay, let's just say I'm I'm 65. I have a million dollars and interest rates are at a nor- somewhat normal basis. And let's just say I can put my money in the bank, call it a five year CD, and I can make five percent on my money. That means in interest, I'm earning $50,000 a year plus Social Security. I'm probably earning close to $75,000 with no risk. Okay, I don't even have to be in the stock market. I'm just getting $75,000. That's more than enough for most people to live in retirement on and not to worry about running out of their money at this day and age. Okay, now fast forward to today. Maybe on that five-year CD, I get a half a percent instead of 5%. A half a percent. So instead of earning $50,000 in interest a year, I'd be lucky if I was getting $5,000 a year. Can't really retire on $5,000 a year, right? So either A, I retire and take a lot more risk with my assets, which inflates the stock market. So now everybody's buying at a high, which is bad for everybody. Or I still keep working. I don't have enough money to retire anymore. That's where it hurts young people the most. So one of the big things is you hear about the churn of millennials. Like they don't stay at the same job for, you know, more than two years or three years or something like that. A lot of that is because they don't feel any upward mobility or the the chance to move up. And a large part of that is because people that should be retiring are not. I hear from this all the time with people that I know that are 60, 65, 70 years old. They're like, I can't retire. Like, I have money, but it's not earning anything. I can't retire yet. So if they don't retire, nobody's going to be able to move up and replace them until they do retire. Unless you're willing to do the same job at a hell of a lot less pay. Okay? So that's another place that it hurts. But let's focus again on real estate. Because not only does it cost you more to buy a house, like so all of you that didn't own a house back in 2008 and 2009, you're feeling the effects of those decisions today and it's making it really hard for you to buy a house. What else does it do? Housing prices go up. That means it makes it not affordable to get a mortgage. 
do you think rent is going to stay low? Oh, no. Because people still need a place to live. So guess what happens? Rents go up also. So now you can't even really save for a down payment for a house. You can't save for retirement. Now you've got student loans on top of that, auto loans on top of that. Good luck. And then it's like, oh, well, what do you mean? Where does this happen? Look at where, you know, I grew up in San Jose, California. Rent, I mean, we have a two-bedroom condo that we rent out. It's $3,000 a month per condo. Because back in 2008, that condo was like 460 grand. Now it's like 860 grand. It's ridiculous. And then you have places like San Francisco that will put in rent control, which does absolutely nothing data-wise, statistic-wise. There's data all over the place that shows rent control does nothing for the positive. It's like, oh yes, it, it caps rent. But because there's no incentive for the homeowners to really keep their houses up to date that they're renting, a lot of them turn into slums and disgusting places to live. Plus, you go to places like San Francisco, and you got three people renting a one-bedroom house or a one-bedroom condo because that's the only way they can afford it. So long story short, you know, we hear about the housing crisis, the housing prices, um, you know, the, the rent being so high in a lot of different areas. A lot of it all stems as a, not all of it. A lot of it stems from this Federal Reserve policy driving, trying to drive consumption, which drives inflation. And then you factor in, uh, you know, fiscal policy that we dump six trillion dollars into the economy and you get inflation. You get hyperinflation. And that's why, you know, I'll quote Ronald Reagan on this. I'll steal this from him. Inflation is basically another word for tax. I mean, it's basically a way to tax people because it's taken away from your earnings through higher housing prices, let it be rent or buying a house or whatever it is. And guess what? Then you have a stock market that's just in bubble territory. And, you know, you have the Federal Reserve make a couple comments and all of a sudden it tanks 10 to 15 percent. So all of you that are, you know, starting to invest, now you've got that money tanking too. Instead of growing well and very stable, it's all ups and down. You get scared behaviorally. You just, you lost money. Maybe you pulled money out because you're scared. So anyways, that's my rant on the uh, Federal Reserve today. Like I said, you know, I'm not saying any of this to say for you to be like, oh, you know, screw the Fed, blah, 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 blah. The bottom line is they're there and they're not going anywhere. Okay. You have to know this stuff, and just from a high level, the ramifications on it also. And to say, they're there, what are they doing? There's the old saying, don't fight the Fed. If you fight the Fed, you're going to lose. So what are they doing? Where can I put my money to benefit myself? Okay. For example, that's one of the one reason why a lot of people are looking at student loan refinancing right now, even though... The uh, interest rates and the payments are frozen by the federal government because even if the government extends it throughout the rest of 2022, they're like, look, eventually we're going to have to pay these things and interest rates are going to be going up on refi. So I might as well refinance at the bottom right now. Is that the right thing to do? Like I said, about, I'd say about 30, 40% of the people we talk to are doing that right now. Some are still holding off, but that's, that's up to you. But those are the things you have to start thinking about. Okay. Now go into more of an advanced thing. Like if you're managing your own investments, right? Like we're at all-time interest rate lows, all-time lows. 
And so you want to avoid things like long-term uh, type of bonds because if interest rates go up, those are things that are going to get slaughtered. So you have any conservative holdings, you want it to be a more short-term type of holdings so that way they don't get slaughtered when interest rates go up. And so those are the types of things when, that I talk about, knowing how the Fed works, what the ramifications are. So that way you can put your money where you need to put it so that way you're not hurt and that you can continue to make money and have it work for you instead of just blindly throwing it and hoping everything works well. So that's the podcast for today. As always, build your profile, uh, build your plan out using our new technology, start tracking it. If you guys need help, let us know. We'll be talking to you soon.